welcome to the South Mims U Soccer Studies podcast. And yes, that was the famous Manchester City chant, We're Not Really Here. And when Man City played Arsenal on June 17th, when the seasons restarted as England came out of lockdown, there really was no one there. Well, no fans at least. There were ironic signs covering the empty seats which said, We're Not Really Here, which was actually quite amusing. Well, I am here in South Mims, the home of our great university, and playing away permanently is my colleague Martin, who's in Australia, which I think gives me home advantage in this debate about home advantage. How are you, Martin? I'm great, and I'm actually at home, so I don't understand your point about having home advantage. Well, um, I'm the moderator of this discussion, so I have the advantage over you. I, I think your logic is a little askew, Jerome, as ever. In these times of matches at all levels behind closed doors, we need to talk about whether that makes a significant difference to the teams on the pitch. Yes, that's what this podcast is about. I, I just thought I'd start with, you know, a link to how we record this. It doesn't work, Jerome. Drop it. Uh, OK, so home advantage. Does it exist? And does it depend on the crowd? That's you and me, Martin, and everyone else listening to this podcast. That's if they go regularly to the games. And the other burning question is, when you're watching at home on TV, what's the effect of watching games without the crowd noise actually on? Well, the dynamic of the crowd, of being in the crowd, is an essential part of the football experience. And what we're going to examine is how the experience can be enhanced even further. The first question is, I suppose... Does home advantage actually exist? Most of us believe it does. Depending on your experience, it's either a myth or a distinct phenomenon which can be measured. There's been quite a lot of research into the subject, hasn't there? Well, there has. One paper called Does Home Advantage Depend on Crowd Support by Michaela Ponza and Vincenzo Scoppa for the German-based Institute for the Study of Labour in 2014 looked at all the factors which might be involved in that, well, fact or myth. I think it's fact. Well, I err on the side of myth. Martin. Indeed, you usually do. It's not so much work. Uh, well, I was never good at statistics. Anyway, the paper summarised the factors you need to look at in the, in the tendency, let's call it, let's use that word tendency, for home teams to win more games than they lose. But surely the statistics are more definite. Isn't it a trend rather than a tendency? We'll see. Be patient, Martin. Well, I await your analysis with bated breath, Jerome. The research into the subject looks at the stronger support that home teams get from their own crowds. Their stadium, no matter its shape or size, will, by definition, have more home fans than away fans in it. And they'll be more vociferous, the home fans, I mean. Jerome, have you ever been to West Ham's new London stadium? I, I don't think the usual rules apply there. Well, let's not get partisan about this, Martin. Oh, please, when it comes to the hammers, let's. Calm down. The evidence is actually mixed. It doesn't matter what the size of the crowd is, surprisingly, but the density of the crowd and their proximity to the pitch seem to be significant. Yes, small, tight grounds generate more noise. Yeah, but the team is a key determinant on how loud the crowd are. If your team is playing badly, the crowd can go noticeably quiet, and that can have the opposite effect. 
Hence a manager telling his players to quieten the crowd from the start. Indeed, but even if the crowd is loud and songs and chants are continuous, the quality of the play can dictate the fluctuations in support and, in turn, the effect that has. But you said that the research was uncertain in terms of crowd support. Well, it is, but it does show that the crowd does have a significant effect on what the referee does. Reactions to fouls, or things like handball, especially in the penalty area, used to influence the refs quite markedly. In fact, home teams, on average, get more decisions going their way. I think we all know that. Though VAR has changed that. Now the crowd with howl when an opposing player makes a horrible tackle, and no matter how hard we chant red, 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 the ref will usually refer the decision to VAR, and then they'll decide. But would the crowd reaction have an effect on them, even though they're off in a porter cabin somewhere? Well, that would be an interesting line of research. It, it could do, in terms of deciding to look at the incident in the first place. But the video is the video. It's the visuals that count. Though, Martin, your point is one we'll come back to when we talk about watching games without crowd noise. I can't wait. Right, OK. So, the away team gets more yellow and red cards than the home team, on average. And there are more penalties given to the home team. Also, if the game is tight until the last minute for the home team, the ref tends to add on more extra time marginally, than if it's tight for the away team. So that's a distinct home advantage. Well, it, it might be. We, we want definite answers, Jerome. Well, life isn't like that. Football isn't like that. So the next thing to consider is the fact that the home team knows the stadium, the pitch and the general surroundings better than the away team. I, I don't really think that, that that, I mean, for professional players, is actually much of a factor. It might be. Often it's the different variations in the pitch size and the composition of the pitch, the general state of the pitch, as well as, in rare cases, the use of artificial turf. That probably has had more of an effect on an away team. But what about travel? For instance, I know that in Australia there's been research which, and this happens in the US too with American football, baseball and, and basketball teams, that the travelling long distances does have an effect on players especially when they travel through time zones, more so, in fact, when it's west to east. So here, here in Australia, for instance, a team travelling, let's say, from Perth to Sydney is going to be more effective than one going the other way, though both will have had long journeys, of course. Well, you summed that up pretty well, Martin. But there does seem to be a link between the length of travel and the ability of the away team to win. So if Newcastle travel to Plymouth, they will be at a slight disadvantage. <laughs> Let's face it, depending on the state of the Newcastle team, going the road, down the road to Sunderland could be a disadvantage. But that's a good point. So when teams play derbies, city derbies or regional ones, that travel factor actually vanishes. In fact, sometimes the away team can have an advantage in cities where teams are actually very close to one another. OK, but then again, most players are used to moving around. And if they have long careers, they get used to travel, get to know away grounds pretty well. So then the effect must diminish. Well, yes, that's true. Which is why much of the research seems to point to the importance of the crowd. Though, if your team is rubbish, the crowd can't help much. Indeed. And actually, new stadia don't help. Though the apparent dip which teams seem to have when they move stadium is thought to be more of a myth than a fact. The, the evidence is vague as ever. As is the view from the away end of the Emirates. Now, Arsenal, I seem to remember, started very well when, when it was opened. They did, and they dipped in terms of consistent form for other reasons, 
such as investment in the team. So there we have it. It comes down to money. Probably. Uh, Manchester City were terrible for a long time. Then they attracted huge investment and moved stadium and then achieved a stunning home record. So everything we've spoken about is obsolete? No, not at all, because... Everything is relative, Martin. You have the top six teams in the Premier League investing, levelling the cash playing field, as it were, and then the small margins which home advantage can provide come into play, surely. OK, see the point, but is the entire subject of home advantage actually a myth? I don't really think it is. You know, a couple of years ago, Sky Sports did an interesting series of articles on their website about various myths. One of them was home advantage. They looked at the stats from the English Football League from the 1888 season onwards. Ah, the 1888 season. I tell you, Jerome, things were never better than in 1888 to 1889. Well, actually, we should point out that it was the first season ever. I know. And Preston North End were, were worthy champions. Um, their striker, John Goodall, won the Golden Boot. Well, he would have done it if it had existed, of course, back then. Of course, Jerome, they were the, the first invincibles, the genuine invincibles. And uh, recollection is they, they did the double that year as well. And of course, without getting too parochial about it, our beloved Spurs copied their colours, of course, the, the navy, white and blue, albeit Spurs got round to that about 10 years afterwards, I think, probably about 18, 1898. Oh, and you know, you know how keen I am on the Scots. My recollection, again, is that six of that Preston team were actually Scots. Very interesting, Martin. And that does link to your theory that we owe everything to Scotland. And that's a very good podcast if you want to listen to it or if you haven't listened to it already. Actually, Martin, just to test you, do you know who was runner up in 1888 in the league? Oh, now, Jerome, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Uh, Aston Villa. You're amazing, Martin. You really are. Jerome, I know, but carry on with your point. Let's go back to the Sky Research. They showed that home teams won much more often in the early years of the league. The 1895-96 season was the pinnacle. 64.6% of games were won by the home team. That's out of 480 games in total, right? Indeed. That's Division 1 and 2, by the way. OK, and the trend has been declining ever since. By season 2015 to 16, the percentage of home wins was down to 41%, though that's calculated across all four tiers of the league. That's a significant drop. A 36% drop, proportionately. How did you work that out? Um, I didn't. The article did. Uh, thank you, Sky Sports. I wonder what was behind the decline. Well, in 2017, the percentage did rise a little bit to 45%, which was the highest it's been since 2009-10. It's bound to fluctuate depending on the quality of the teams and the investment they've made. I wonder what the betting companies think of all this research. They're the ones who'd be most interested, I would imagine. If you look at what they they say about it, they seem to err on the side of giving the home team the benefit of the doubt. One betting site worked out that in the 2017-18 season, there were 607 home goals, 457 away goals, and around 28% of games ended in a draw, while the away team won 22% of the time. Which means, of course, you're more likely to win at home. Which it does indeed, yes. So really, after all that, we come to the conclusion which basically matches our, our first instinct. You could put it that way. I did just put it that way. But it's still interesting to look at why it happens and whether the crowd is the key factor. We need to understand now that there are no fans, so this is a completely new experience. Is the fact that no one is truly at home anymore 
going to be a factor. What's happened in the Bundesliga? I mean, they they restarted obviously before the Premier League did. Well, the effect seems at first sight to be quite marked. Before the lockdown, the average home advantage was what you'd expect, around 43% of home wins, 35% away wins, which is a little higher than the Premier League. But once the games resumed behind closed doors, home wins plummeted to 21%. They halved. OK, but does that mean there were more away wins? Yes, many more. Away wins hit 50% with draws up to 29% from 21%. But this is a small sample. This is a limited number of games. I know, but there's definitely a big change there, even if it's just a few games. So what does that mean for us? I mean, the fans. I believe it's a strange sense of impotence. You see, when you're actually part of the crowd, you believe you can influence the play, even if you don't actually achieve any influence. It's, it's part of the enjoyment. Yeah, I mean, being there is, is why you feel part of the team. I mean, literally the, the mythical 12th man effect. And, and that is a key part of the enjoyment of the game. When I'm watching on TV, I mean, I hate it. I, I do feel disconnected, as you say, impotent, though I wouldn't have used that word myself. Oh, by the way, Jeremy, I, I hope your therapy is going well. Uh, well, uh, yes, it is. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is that even if you never go to a match, the crowd noise is key to the enjoyment of the game. It keeps you connected. Even if you nip out to make a cup of tea, you can gauge the state of the game by the crowd noise, even before you hear the tone of the commentators. Which is why they're adding crowd noise to the sound on TV now, right? Yes, they're using digital sound effects to match the action. It's clever, it's very clever. And I believe they're trying to limit the number of times they show the empty seats so that the shot keeps quite low. And also they've covered the seats with, uh, with uh, hoardings and with, as we said at the beginning, quite clever ones like we're not really here at Man City. Yes, and in fact some clubs are actually putting pictures of people on the seats, aren't they? They are, and, and people can send in their photos and they're printing them out and, uh, and putting them on the seats. Though, actually, I think the best example, the lengths people will go to simulate the crowd, is when FC Seoul in South Korea placed, and wait for it, sex dolls strategically around the ground to um, uh, stimulate the players. Ah, so we're now in the realms of uh, stimulation rather than simulation. But you're, you're joking about this, Jerome. Were they um, clothed dolls? They were. Keep control of yourself, Martin. And they, had, they actually wore face masks as well. The club had to apologise for doing that, mainly because the dolls held signs for an X-rated website. It was advertising. Now, most clubs will be using images or even screens in the ground. And I've noticed that it, actually at the Spurs match against Manchester United, they had a Zoom link with fans watching from the screen. Obviously, they're watching on their own screens, but the players could see faces across a Zoom-like link and they were reacting to the game, which I don't know if that had any effect. But, but whatever tricks they do like that, the reality, Jerome, is that the experience of watching at home can never be like being there. Well, actually, Martin, maybe it can. A little. How so? One of the most distinct things about a football match is not just the noise and the camaraderie and the, the, the visuals. It's also 
the smell. The smell? The fried onions, the grass, the burgers, the pies, the sweet drinks, the beer, the kids' sweet, the beer, the bovril, the beer, the sweat and the disappointment. You're right. That was almost, well, Proustian, Jerome. Well, in fact, Marcel Proust did start his famous novel... À, à la recherche du temps perdu. Yes, à la recherche du temps perdu, uh, In Search of Lost Time. His first version was about a bad season for his local team, which is now defunct, and it was called À la recherche d'une victoire à domicile. In Search of a Home Winner, you're having me on. It begins with the hero biting into a minced beef pie with truffles in it. OK, I, I, I believe you. Well, uh, you might scoff, Martin, but we're about to publish that fragment which has been found in our archives, but that's another matter. So here at South Mims, we have a sensory soccer lab, which is run by our colleague, Philip. Ah, Phil, a Man United fan, but, but still a fine fellow. Well, I spoke to him this morning about what he calls a breakthrough in sensory soccer. Fascinating. And this is what we talked about. Phil, why don't you let us into the secret of your new scent? It's called Big Win, and it comes in a football-shaped bottle. Very chic. Oh, right. I, I can imagine what the advert would look like. A sultry model celebrating a goal with a pie in her hand. Well, that's one of the ideas. The other is Ronaldo at home watching a game and then putting the scent on and suddenly being at the game with a snake. A snake? Ooh, very avant-garde. Who? Avant-garde. Out there. Creative. Huh. Well, we're in touch with Johnny Depp's agent. We think he could dig up an Aztec football in the desert, crack it open, and then find himself in a stadium full of people with a snake. Um, I think you should drop the snake thing. OK, OK. Fair enough. Now, the scent itself, I sent you a bottle. Oh, yeah, I've, I've got it here. It's a, it's a mix of all the things that create a truly sensual football experience. And I call it sensual in the true sense of the word sensual. Uh, which makes perfect sense. Indeed. Humans can smell fear before they see it. They can smell victory. They can smell a goal before it's scored. Smell a goal? It's a split-second thing, but yes, our research shows that home goals smell good and away goals smell bad uh, for the home crowd, that is. OK, so your idea is that when you sit down to watch a match on TV and there's no crowd, uh, you know, it's a match behind closed doors, you spray this scent around the room and it makes you feel as if you're there, right? Yes, but it's cleverer than that. Really? OK, explain. I also sent you a, a small unit that goes with the bottle. Did you get that? Yeah, yeah, got that here. OK, so you open the main bottle and you let the scent waft out. Right, OK, uh, I'll do that. Um, wouldn't a candle have been better? I mean, something akin to what that Gwyneth Paltrow does. Hmm, indeed, her candle that um, has vaginal notes. Vaginal notes? It's a candle that smells like a vagina. Oh, right, OK, no. OK. Hmm. Well, we didn't think that a candle was um, right for this demographic. And it might lead to fires or become a weapon during the Manchester derby. So, all right, you open the bottle, which I've done, uh, and then what? Then you set the little unit on. It's got a battery in it. And it senses the crowd and commentator noise. And it's also linked via the internet to a certain popular sports website. Right, well, it sounds quite complex. It is, but it works. When your team, the home team, scores, it sends out a pulse of goal scent. 
But what happens when the other team scores? It doesn't pulse. You just get a home goal smell. Right. But what if your team is playing away? It's the same, home and away. I'm sorry, I should have said that at the start. OK, well, can I try it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've rigged it up properly, it should work. So watch your screen. Right, OK. And here's a goal coming from Spurs. Right, brilliant. Oh, yeah, right. Great goal by Harry Kane. Yeah, good goal. Oh, yes, no, no, I can smell something now. Yeah, yeah, there's a smell. Um, <coughs> right, well, Phil, <coughs> well, it's, it's a very, it's a strong, it's a strong smell. <coughs> it's not something, <coughs> it's not something I've smelled at a football. <coughs> what? I've just, I just, <coughs> I think, oh dear, oh dear, I've got a roll. Jerome, you there? Oh, fuck. It's happened again. How long did it take you to recover? Well, actually, it, it took a few hours and I'm still a little bit queasy, actually. So the conclusion is fans are important. The game needs fans in the stadium. And the quicker we can all get back to our seats, the better, right? Indeed. Until then, we need to suffer the artificial sound and just try and focus on the beautiful game on our screens. Thank you, Martin, as ever. And thank you, dear listeners. Please listen to our other Soccer Studies podcasts and our other episodes, which cover a wide range of fascinating non-football-related subjects. Share, review, and if you want to get in touch, email us at southmimsu at gmail.com. Whoever you support, keep the faith. Oh!